it's difficult to be a technology leader. Here at the podcast, we spend our time making it easier for you. And we've gone even farther on this mission than just the podcast. Our goal this year is to help 100,000 technologists level up as leaders with LeaderBits. This could be as simple as you helping level someone else up on your team, you acting as the mentor, or maybe you're a team leader and you're looking to level up into a VP or director role. We are here for you at leaderbits.io to help you grow as a technology leader. Visit us and ask us all the questions that you have at leaderbits.io. Now, get excited because today we are talking to Dave Wagstaff, the CTO at B Square and we discuss innovation in the IoT and machine-to-machine space, the importance of effective team communication, and solving a business problem before getting enamored with the technology. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Where are you calling in from today? Um, from Bellevue, Washington, just on the other side of the lake from Seattle. Oh, nice. So it's it's bright, bright and early for you right now. You no, know yeah, it's not. Eh. I, I tend to be an early guy anyway, so it's it's nice. But uh, what's really nice is the weather is actually cooperating today. It's not raining. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. So I actually I actually live in Southern California. I commute up here, so I get the benefit of the nice weather down there, and you know, at least two days of the week. So you split your week. I well, it's not really a split. I'm up here for the five days. So I'm here Monday through Friday, and then I'm back home, basically Friday through Sunday. How how sustainable is that? How long have you done that for? You know, I've done it for five years. So now the <laughs> the better question is, is, what level of insanity do I have? Right. So <laughs> you yes, know, that is the question. It's, yeah, it's a little bit of an easy flight, right? It's about a two hour flight. It's a nonstop, so it's not a big deal. And then I've got an apartment here that I just walk to work. So. If I look at it objectively, I commute twice a week and I walk the other part. So it's not now that could be rationalization, by the way. <laughs> it could be trying to rationalize it. I don't know. Well, that that's awesome. And so you're an early morning person. I am. I am. I am. Um, I've for the longest time I've had to deal with international teams. And so it's almost like a, it has to be that way. So what time are you getting up? So I usually get up around 3.30 to 4. And oh, you beat me. Yeah, oh, are you an early guy yeah, too? I'm a five, I'm, I, I do a 5.30 run. So I'm like, up like uh, 5.15. I'm on the side of the street by like 5.30. But everyone's like, you're crazy, you're crazy. But here you go, you got 3 3.30. <laughs> yeah, well, no, you know what? Well, so, but at least you're doing exercise. I'm up on the phone not really doing anything good. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll give you credit. You win that one. So what, what um, you, right now, you're you're still up early because they're you're working with, other time zones. Tell me about that. Yeah, so we are. So we have a we have an uh, an office in uh, just outside of London, actually on the west side of the island, a town called Tro- Trowbridge, and then we have a Taipei office. And so, you know, it's nearly impossible to get a meeting where everybody's involved. And so, what we tend to do is we schedule them for one team and repeat. Um, so the UK guys, you know, I'm that's why I'm up early. And then on the uh, Taipei side, I have to stay a little bit late. Got it. So I am curious to know, and so we can set some context. You're the CTO of B Square, correct? Yep. And, and yep. what is B Square? So B Square, so it's a it, we it's a public company, been around for 24 years actually, 
actually started out in life, um, we were one of the co-developers of Windows CE. So the Windows version that runs on, used to run on those small portable machines. Mm -hmm. um, we actually built a lot of that infrastructure and mainly the compiler. So um, in the early days with B-Square, there were really two lines of business. One was we would sell, we would resell Microsoft license to use that OS on hardware. Then we'd go back to the customer and ask, well, what are you doing with that license? Do you need some help in building some custom solutions? So we built a service organization around that. So we sold licenses along with services for custom applications, work for higher companies. That's, pre that's pretty great. Yeah, I, remember the, yeah. I, I remember the CE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. It's it's uh, it's it's one of those things. I know I had an old HP little uh, iPack, uh, you know, thing that had the thing on there, and I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And then, so what have you what have you morphed into? So what we did is we said, you know what, what we built was a lot of knowledge around connected devices. I, you know, how to connect devices up, how to work on embedded systems, and how do you integrate that with the with cloud. Um, and so we, about five years ago, and that's when I joined the company, the board of directors said, well, you know what, let's take that knowledge and productize it as opposed to, as opposed to making work for hire. So the idea was to pivot into the IoT space, use that knowledge, build a set of components and platform pieces that we could reuse to build solutions. And we came up with basically three different components. There's the collect piece, which is where we you know, attach to devices and collect the traditional kind of M2M space where we're connecting devices using whatever protocols are available. Um, there's an analyze piece that says, okay, once I've got that data, what do I, what kind of insight can I draw from that? That's machine learning and it's our rule engine. And the last component is, okay, now that I know, for example, the truck is gonna break down the next 24 hours, what do I do to make to operationalize that within the organization, right? So, so we took those pieces and said, let's build a platform to support those models. And then on top of that, we built some, I'll call it more vertical specific solutions like predictive analytics for transportation um, is one of our verticals. Another one is understanding oil and gas and the kind of problems they run into that maybe a connected device solution could help. So you've got to help me though. You yeah. said whenever people say something I don't understand, I ask. And Fantastic. What, what is the M to M space? So machine to machine. So ah. I think... Right. So I think, I think, you know, prior to IOT, you know, MDM kind of, so I came from a background where we actually did, we called ourselves MDM, but that the focus was different. So in MDM, the focus was getting connectivity between some kind of a device into a backend system. And that was the focus. And it kind of left it from there. I think IOT is acknowledgement that while that's a great thing to do, there's a whole lot more you got to do. <laughs> so IOT is maybe an extension of it. So I, I always look at it as we started with MDM, got smarter, moved into IoT. And I think even IoT will get its, um, will eventually get renamed because really the function is not, you know, internet of things. It's solving some kind of business problem with connected devices. And then like, how do you measure success? Like, are there success stories of, of IoT? Yeah, you know, and that's a great question. If you look around, there isn't as many as you may think, right? There's a lot of folks talking a lot about IoT and what the capabilities are. There's a lot of talk about it, the art of the possible. Um, but folks really, there hasn't been a lot of good use cases that says that we've actually done something there. I think you're going to be seeing a lot of those come up now because I think the industry has realized that you've got to take that connected data, run it through some analytics, and some of them are machine learning, which is rel relatively new and, you know, kind of a, a niche market, 
Um, and then the key part of this is once you know that, how do you operationalize it? How do you get that into the enterprise to drive something? So I'll go back to the truck example because this is one that we're, we're actually working on is imagine if you can predict that this truck going down the road is going to fail in the next two hours. Um, and you know that I'm carrying a load of you know perishables that I need to deliver. I got to make a decision here. Should I make that deliverable, deliverable and then fix the truck? Or is the truck going to be a big problem and I need to get it in the service right now? And the only way to do that is you take that knowledge, you integrate with your business systems to say which service bays are available, what parts are available, do I have the right skill set available, and then generate a service ticket automatically for that truck and then notify the driver, hey, your route, route has changed, go here first. Um, so that's, I think, what the promise of IoT can do for you. Um, and I think that's the early, you know, we're in early days there because it requires all these different skill sets, data science, protocols, you know, subject matter experts, which is just another thing that it's not technology. It's a lot of it is subject matter expertise to get that integrated in. And how do you take that knowledge in someone's head who understands how a truck operates and codify that in a repeatable model? That's amazing. All right. So I'm over here hooking up like my Philips Hue to my yeah, alarm yeah. clock. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I'm some sort yeah. of master craftsperson. And uh, by the way, I was very excited because I, I did that this week. I, I bought the Philips Hue starter kit, came with, yep. with two lights, and I plugged them in. And I coordinated with this app I have called Sleep Cycle that has an integration yeah. for it. And now, 30 minutes before my alarm will actually hit, it starts, it goes from like 0% to you know, hundred percent brightness. And it's like, I got like Arctic sunrise going on. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's great when you can do that. So, you know, your, your story is kind of similar to mine. I have a wife who uh, doesn't quite understand technology. You know, I'll, I'll come up with this great thing. Like I brought it home. It's like, look what it can do. And she just yet another thing that's not going to work correctly. What changed all of that is I got one of those smart uh, Honeywell thermostats. Mm -hmm. And when, when she, re and again, she looked at it and she goes, why in the world are you, you know, did you do that? Now it changed her life changed though when I showed her on her phone that it could detect 10 minutes before you get to the house that it'll preheat the house or pre-cool it before you got there. And now she got it, right? She got, okay, this I connected device thing actually benefited me in a in a very significant way, right? So that's again, it's it's just a restatement of start with the business problem first and then use technology to solve it. Yeah. I'm laying in bed and I can't turn the lights off. Business yeah. problem. Yeah. Phillips Hue, yep. and I can. And if she forgets to turn the thermostat off, she doesn't listen to the show, so I can just say it, but I'm going to get her. <laughs> <laughs> she, she doesn't care. <laughs> I'm going to get her one of the Nest things because she's pregnant with our, we have a child, a small girl. Congratulations. And and she's pregnant with uh, our boy who will be here in April. Yeah. So we're very excited to have some like back to, you know, back to back kids. But, you know, I would say tw once or twice a week, she forgets to turn the thermostat down and she's laying in bed yeah. and she's pregnant. She's like, can you do it? And I'm like, nope, but Nest can. And then so. Absolutely. Well, you know, the next level is take it to the Alexa, right? Where, where you're using your voice now to control. And now you're, even if you're laying in bed, you just yell out, right? Turn off the lights and all of a sudden things happen. So it's, it, yeah, it's, 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 it's amazing stuff. It, you know, it properly, but the, but the problem with it today, and I think this is the same problem we have in IoT is it takes a very technical savvy person to stitch that all together. Right. It's 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 not it's a bunch of piece parts. The integration is a little bit difficult. There's not a good way to capture these business rules that you want to, you know, like, you know, I, like, you know, and a simple one would be is if I leave the house 
um, and I leave for longer than one hour and my heater's turned on, probably turn it off, right? Yeah. Um, how do you codify that and make that usable in a way that, you know, mere mortals can do? I guess, yeah. Also connectivity within the integrations. So for yeah. example, my the sleep cycle app I mentioned, mm -hmm. it will only for some reason like turn on one one scene of my Philips Hue. So I actually ended up like disconnecting it from the integration, you know, after I paid for the premium. Right? So I ended yeah. up disconnecting from the integration and then just coordinating my Philips Hue to come on with what time I know I'll wake up, like because there was more options in the actual Hue app. Yeah. And so I was like, I would like them to be synced together, but there wasn't like all the features that Philips Hue could do wasn't supported inside of the integration. So now I got to wait yeah. for them. Yep. No, I, and that's exactly, you know, and I, I happen to be, so, you know, I am kind of geeky in those things, but I took my Hue system and then there's a, there's a cloud offering called, um, if then, if this, then that. Yeah. I, yeah. And so I make it, so I, and one of the integrations that I did it sounds silly, but it's really useful because I commute every week up here. What I did is I have it, you can have it where uh, I order Uber and, you know, drives me home to the, to the airport. The idea is um, uh, when the Uber, you know, is within a minute of getting to my house, my light lights up so I can be prepared for it. Right. So, again, the promise of what if you get these systems integrated, there's a tremendous amount of things you can do. Yeah. So when you guys this truck store you mentioned, by the way, my background is like yeah. engineering programming. Right. Oh, so when you dude. were mentioning all that, I was like, come on, you're going to be working yeah. with all of these teams, the team of this software to get the data and the API calls ready or get teams of that. Software. Yeah. And so I love it. So you, you will meet with a business that has that business use case. And then through your services, you'll facilitate the orchestration of all of that engineering so that the scenario that you so easily spit out about <laughs> <laughs> when you were spitting out that scenario, I was like, are they factoring in the cost of the spoiled load? Like, oh, yeah. is, there, is there a threshold if the if what they're carrying is worth more than X dollars than reroute? Do they actually? Abs yeah, you're very smart and you catch up. And this is why these rules become ex uh, pretty complicated because you make a decision and it's a cost. It's a fact based decision. Maybe it's cost that's driving you. Right. Or maybe that it's some other piece. But you got to factor that into. So again, just because you've detected something, you've got to assign a score to it of how valuable it is to do it. And you can get infinitely complex because you could say the place where I'm going to deliver, look up their customer history profile, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do a sentiment analysis of their comments and feedback. <laughs> and if they're X angry and their lifetime value is X, then that actually is going to determine how expensive the load needs to be before it gets rerouted. Like you go, oh, you yeah. can go crazy nerd with it. You crazy. Yeah, yeah, you should be on our sales team because you're doing a fantastic <laughs> job of doing that. Well, you know, and the other thing that, that occurs, though, is there's agility that has to go along. The first rules you write around this stuff are going to be very, very simple. Yeah. If my oil pressure drops below a certain amount of time, I better go do something, right? As you become more sophisticated, you, you'll put additional conditions on that. Maybe it's related to maybe my oil pressure is low because my RPMs are low. So I want to get rid of that false positive. So you have to support a system that supports that agility where you, you, know, you learn a little bit more and you can quickly adapt the system to give you more information and, and, you, and change to it. So these waterfall systems where you build it and then deploy it six months later and then you get get some feedback and 12 months later you do something just don't fly anymore you've got to have these quick turnarounds now we have a we have a product here that came out of the show and we built a, an api and there was like mm -hmm. our first version like there was just one call to the api <laughs> and i was like i just want it shipped into production so we have it yeah. we can, you know once you have the documentation right there's a documentation you can do an example call you can get a temporary key like once you get that whole foundation laid then we can only focus on just like what data 
you know, what data do we need to extract or make accessible? And now it's just an easier conversation versus piling up. A, you know, I see the some of the remnants of the waterfall stuff even happen inside of yeah. the more modern projects. And it's really about the people and like keeping it simple is hard. It is really hard. And you hit it on the head. I mean, you know, what we try to think here is start small, but think big. So the idea is build on something small and achievable because you've got to have a, you know, like a success to drive you forward. Um, and then you have this, how this whole concept of fail fast. If you're going down the wrong path, realize it early on, right. To, to, to do that stuff. Cause I mean, it's, it's a weird world now. It used to be when I first started. And so I've been in this, 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 or the space for I'm coming on 30 years, you know, the waterfall, you, you were used to that where you had long design cycles and, and that was okay because the technology wasn't really changing that often and all that kind of stuff. Now there isn't a week that goes by that somebody hasn't thought of something new that you should be thinking about how that is integrate that in. Um, so this microservice based architectures that we're looking at and the ability to have graphical tools that business users can use that you don't have to be a developer necessarily to control them become now really, really critical. And, and how do you do that? Right. Otherwise, this technology is a bunch of piece parts. You know, it's like telling me, give me all the parts to a car. I'm not going to be able to put a car together. If I did, I wouldn't want to drive it. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. But there are skilled craftsmen that can. And, you know, now that you throw in data science, which now I think is part and parcel with a lot of these solutions, that's a really different skill set. And how do you integrate those folks in? They talk a different language than, you know, developers do. And how do you get those two teams to work together? Yeah, I was having this conversation, I think, like, about two weeks ago. We were saying, you have to be a nicer person now because before you could like own the entire development mm -hmm. lifecycle because there's so few parts. Like you just did a web app and it just had a database. There was like, the, and then, but now with the amount of specialties there are, it's like you cannot do it yourself. To be competitive, you have to have a bunch of great people who can work together. Yeah, and that's, you know, and it's, 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 um, in many regards, it's a lot of craftsmen, a lot of artists working together, and they have different opinions. And, you know, there was an old HP thing that I think also Kmart also uses. It's called management by walking around, which is really what they're talking about is communicating, right? Is you need to be able to communicate. You have to have some kind of an adjudication cycle because you can't have everybody have their own opinions because you never get anything done. At some point, there has to be, you know, there's a, we might have a motto here where it's 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 show and convince. So the idea is it's up to the team to demonstrate that they've got a good idea and that it actually is workable. And then the team gets convinced of it. Right. It's kind of standard practice, but I think it's an art that I agree with you. You didn't have to do before because R&D teams used to take a market requirement document, spend six months, spit it out and say, here it is. And then move on to the next thing that no longer works. I love it. Show and convince. Yeah, that sounds really good. Another one I heard um, a week last week uh, from CTO of Daily Motion, like a video site. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, they they have you know a couple hundred engineers spread across the globe, but he said uh, it was centralized vision, decentralized execution, or centralized strategy, decentralized wow. execution. And when I heard yeah. those words together, I was like, that is poetic. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is. And it's, you know, and it's very, very true. I mean, I think we're, we're finding, um, you know, teams are now just decentralized simply because of skill set issues. Right. I mean, data scientists, you know, science people tend to live in certain parts of the country and embedded programmers are somewhere else. And so you got these disparate teams. And how do you share a common vision and, and a common goal of how to do that? So it's back to communication. 
So, you know, working by work, walk, management by working around doesn't work as well there. But again, it's not the walking part. It's the communication piece that I think that you need to get focused on. Management by slacking off. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Maybe that is a new version of that particular thing because, uh, you know, because I think there's a tremendous amount of tools out to do that. Um, but I mean, it all, it all boils down to first principles lots of, lots of times is having a common goal that you're all striving to. And how, what can you contribute to that, right? How can you move that forward? Oh, I actually have a recurring uh, calendar event in my phone that, yeah. that gets triggered every month that says uh, think first principles. Because yeah. the moment I saw that, I was introduced to it through one of Elon Musk's talks and he was referencing oh, okay. something in physics, right? First principles. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, reasoning up from logic. And so I, I said, I never want to forget this. So I put a recurring event for like my lifetime and like forever uh, into my phone. It just like reminds me to go back and read the first principles concept. Well, you know, and that is a great idea. You know, you know, I had learned a while back that, um, you know, there's celebrations. Like if you look at in the Bible and so on and other areas, there's celebrations that occur. And it isn't because of the celebration. It's because it's the remembrance of what that celebration or whatever meant. So the point is, is sometimes we have to remind it because we get in the trench holes we forget where where the where the flag is that we're going after and then you're just working hard you're not working productive you're working hard yeah it's uh you got to toggle that high level low level that beautiful like rhythm of yeah. of super detail big picture super detail it's hard <laughs> but it is, it, it is. life it interesting is. though it does it does and then i think the other thing that has changed in this world um especially on the technology side is you can't you can't assume you went to school, I learned something, I will now use that knowledge forever and ever. Um, you're constantly relearning now. Now it's a matter of, okay, what did you know last week? Because that's maybe relevant, maybe not for this week, depending on how the, the, the space changes. So it's now it's a bunch of course corrections that you're having to do. Yeah, and it's also interesting because like if you look at, I never understood, well, for a long time, I didn't understand the concept of like knowledge loss. Like mm -hmm, with, with mm -hmm. employee turnover and things like that. Mm -hmm. But after uh, I became a business owner, <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, that's why. Oh, I, I, I yeah, absolutely. Well, have you heard of the, there's a term that I, that I heard, uh, uh, it was about a year ago and I love the term. Not, I don't like the fact, but it's called gray 2K. And the idea there is, is that, so one of the verticals we're in is an oil and gas and there are guys that have worked in the oil and gas maintenance stuff for 30 years and they can put their hand on a pump and tell you exactly what's going on with that thing. That's knowledge in their head. As they transition, as they retire out, there are not, there's a, you know, you know, the, the younger folks tend to, you know, I'll try maintenance for two weeks, see how it works. They don't get, get that knowledge. So to your point, that knowledge is leaving the enterprise and not being captured anywhere. It's gone. And it's really unfortunate. Yeah, there was even um, somebody shared a, a story with me, so I'll keep it ambiguous. But there was a water <laughs> facility that provided water for a few million people. And mm -hmm. the engineers said it was a closed system. I'm sure you probably understand more about the industrial systems and languages. Um, but essentially, the, the story was they came to their, their company and said, hey, we don't know about how any, there's no documentation on this code. We have no idea how the plant is, is running or any of the systems, the control system. We don't know anything about it. Um, and everyone has since retired and either passed away or just retired. Uh, so basically, mm -hmm. they don't know how this facility is operating. <laughs> and, like, and we provide water for, we provide cleaning water for like 2 million people in, in the city. So will you, will you come and, you know, 
look at our systems and document them and figure out how wow. to upgrade them so that if something happens, we know what to do. And I was like, that's like the most incredible call to get from like a city. Right. Like, oh, can you believe? Yeah. You re can you reverse engineer our water system for us? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. That kind of reminds me of the old, uh, the, the Y2K stuff, right? Where you had to pull people out of retirement because no one knew how to do Fortran and how these systems were actually put together. Yeah. And that's why I feel good because I'll have a, uh, be able to be homeless, like with a little paper that says <laughs> we'll write sequel and like 20, <laughs> like nobody understands because they're all sitting on top of these overly engineered, like ORMs or whatever it may be, these wonderfully engineered ORMs, they don't know how to write yeah. the low level code. And then we end up, you know, writing SQL for them. <laughs> well, you know, and I think that, you know, and that's the, that's the, inter that's interesting because you're right. I think um, I look at folks now, you know, I, I was brought up in SQL and that's, you know, relational databases and that's the way you look at the world, right? Very rectangular. And, and now you look at no SQL and you're going, okay, now everyone's moved to that. But at the end of the day, there are still cases where a true relational system works fine. So again, it's using the right tool for the right job. Um, and understanding that just because it's old doesn't mean it's necessarily bad, right? There's some still some good stuff out there. It's amazing some of the stuff that's still on these old mainframes that they're yeah. converting out of it. There's mm -hmm. large companies that are still converting these older companies out of these massive mainframes. And I'm like, it, to me, it was like mind boggling that that's still happening. But at the same time, I think about from a business perspective, if it, everything was functioning, and they were just realizing the fruits of their investment, right? Because it, it was operating and their business was happening. Yeah. Then, you know, they thinking long, there just wasn't a need to do it. And now there is, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's maybe economy. I look, I look, you know, I look at the, you know, the airline reservation system, Saber, right? So that system was built, which it's like an amazing thing because it was built at a time when, you know, CPUs and computers and stuff weren't, you know, necessarily reachable, but it, it, it ran quite well and it scaled at amazing levels, right? So I think achieving a system like that today would even still be a challenge, but they were able to do it on far less than what we have today. So it's it's amazing what you can do with, with effort. I, I think you're really qualified to help me with this. Uh, edge and IoT, Yeah. can you talk a little bit like, what's the difference? How are they separated? Where? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So the idea would be that the edge is where the ingress of the data comes in from. And that, you know, you can think of it as sensors that are connected up to a pump or something like that. So it's it's literally the compute that runs very, very close to the device you're trying to capture the data from. Um, typically resource constrained, either through memory or CPU, but it can run some logic on there. And the idea is has, it has some connect connectivity to either a gateway or the cloud, because that's where you do the heavy lift stuff like analytics, machine learning, some of the rule-based things. I think one of the unique things that we do at, uh, at B-Square that we think about is sometimes, so the traditional model is you take the edge device, you take its data, and you just blindly throw it across the, the wire onto the other side. Um, that tends to be fairly expensive. Um, there's latency involved. There's a number of things that prevent you from necessarily getting all the data you want. Think of, uh, so uh, in the truck space, we are, we are actually monitoring, trucks are like a mini refinery, by the way. They're just amazing how much stuff they have in it. But we're monitoring um, 384 sensors on that truck. And some of those sensors are generating data at 20 millisecond intervals. There is just no way you can take all that data and transmit it up. So one of the rules, one of the, one of the mantras we have here is sometimes it's cheaper to shift to shift the logic rather than the data. So the, the, the idea would be you would use the cloud to do the machine learning, understand the model, how the device behaves, 
you compress that model and you run it now, what we call inference at the edge. So you learn the model in the cloud, but you run the inference at the edge. So now the device can have 100% access to all the data from the sensors and only send back relevant information back to the cloud. So you minimize your cost. So, so you you're distribute training, out the work. You're training the model in the cloud, right? That's correct. Okay. That's correct. Yeah, and that takes a, that's a heavy lift operation, requires a tremendous amount of power. But the actual inference, where you're actually using that model to make decisions, that requires far less information. Well, I'm sorry. It requires far more information, but less compute power. Okay, so you're taking the model, mm -hmm. and then you can wirelessly update it too. Yeah. And so you're calling the when you when you take the model and transmit it down to the the truck, the device. You're calling that the inference of the model. That's correct. Got That's it. correct. The inference the inference is using the data, consulting the model model to see if it has an opinion if there's a problem or not. Okay. So, so we're taking these 384 sensors, we're throwing it at the, at the inference, and it's coming back and saying, no, everything's good, don't worry. So then we don't send anything to the cloud. Or it may come back and say, oh, looks like your fuel pump is about ready to go. It transmits that to the cloud to do something. That's amazing. And then, yeah. and then how, so then where do you, I'm sorry, I'm going to get nerdy on you here. So, oh, no. uh, so where do you get, how do you get that original large set of data to do the training on the cloud-based model? Yeah, you, you, got all, you got all the right questions, by the way. <laughs> so what we actually do is, so there's a concept of it, uh, different modes of communication. So while the truck is, let's say, moving down the road, it's connecting via the cell, which has limited bandwidth and very expensive. But when that same truck pulls into the service bay at the end of the day, it has Wi-Fi connectivity, mm -hmm. which is cheap. So we use store and forward. So the idea is we maintain that data on the truck. And then when we pull into a cheap level of connectivity, we dump that data back into the cloud. That's amazing. Yeah, it's fun stuff. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, you know, and again, and, and the rules could be written in a way on the truck to say, you know, if it's a, if it's a big don't care event, wait until I pull into the service bay at the end of the day. If it's a really important thing, like the truck is ready to fail or there's some impending safety issue going on, I don't care if you're on cell, still transmit it because it's important. Now, do you build interfaces or a process and system in place to sort of like post store and pour, manipulate the data in case if there was yeah. like poor, like a false sensor, you'd have to go correct that data or somehow yep. tag it to say that we had a human look at it and it was a false. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, if you talk to most data science, they'll tell you that 70% of their time is in the data cleansing and transformation space. So, and we realize that and again, we want to be able to repeatable product. So we built what we call our data pipeline and our pipeline is all about managing that. So the idea is how do we take data, strip out the stuff that's bad, maybe replace it with something that's kind of good because we don't want to lose that data. We have this concept called data enrichment where we take data in and maybe we have to consult a third-party system to get information. For example, maybe the truck gives us its GPS coordinates, but it's more important for me to understand is that in what state it's in. And that's called data enrichment, pulling that piece in there. So the data pipeline, again, we have a, it's a very graphical tool. We can put in false positives and thresholds and certainty factors and that kind of stuff. And then in the machine learning model, it can back, come back and say, you know what? 90% of the data from the fuel pump is always bad. You ought to go figure out what's going on there, right? So we can identify, um, we can accommodate the problem, but we can also identify that it is a problem so we can go back and fix it to understand, is it a vendor problem? Is it a communications problem? Is it just a bad sensor? 
Dude, this is a really cool company. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. I, when yeah. we move into organics, we'll be having this sort of devices like for our human selves. I know. Well, you know, it's what's funny about this stuff. Like we talk to a lot of subject matter experts, both in the transportation space, and they give us a lot of good information. So that bootstraps the system. So they give us a bunch of rules and we say, great, let's start with those. And then we augment that with machine learning. And what's interesting about that is we find out things that they hadn't thought about. Um, you know, so it, it, you know, there was one where we were looking at an, uh, uh, a battery problem. And, and, and they, were, they were just replacing the batteries because they would always drop before. They had a rule that if you drop before below a certain level, it just said replace the battery. Well, what it actually turned out, it wasn't a battery problem at all. The machine learning figured out it was a problem with the alternator that it was actually not spinning fast enough. The gearing on it wasn't correct. So when these trucks that would go down, uh, that wouldn't be up. So this problem only occurred on trucks turned out that run in the city because the alter, the engine RPMs are fairly low and the alternator would not spin up enough to charge the battery. So, and that was done through machine learning. So you would never figure that out. You would have just continued to replace batteries, not finding the root cause. The root cause was not the battery itself, it was the alternator was not spinning fast enough. So who is your customer? Is is trucking companies your cut? Like, yeah, so it's interesting. Um, I, I can talk, there's it, lots of times we're the middleman. In other words, we deliver a service that someone else delivers. So oh, okay. in this, yeah, in this particular case, we actually deliver the service to the manufacturer, the OEM of the truck. Okay. But the ultimate customer is the fleets, the guys that actually run the trucks. Yeah. They use this service to understand when to schedule, you know, maintenance and that kind of stuff. Oh, that's cool. So does it give the menu? So like, me, if I was the manufacturer of the truck, I could say when I'm selling my fleets to the customers, yeah. I could I could have the value add of all of this technology. Yeah. Yeah. And you hit it on. That's another interesting, I think, trend that has been going on is you have traditional vendors like in the white space and the white goods space or something like that, where they they used to sell things, you know, like a truck or a refrigerator or a smoothie machine. Now they're finding out that they've got to add services on top of that because they want that reoccurring revenue. So that's exactly the model, right? Is the idea is I'm going to sell you this thing. I'm going to sell you some services that you can best operate this guy in the most efficient way possible. And you get that as a bundle. And then I don't have to do that expensive consulting concept of retrofitting my entire fleet with some third-party system I have to buy. Like when that, I buy the correct. fleet, it just comes with it. Yep. And it just, you turn it on, you know, and it's a decision of whether I want to pay that monthly, monthly charge or not. That's the decision you have to make. Um, and our goal at, you know, here, when we sell our product is when we talk to a CFO of an organization, I'm going to charge you a dollar, but you're going to save 10. Yeah. Then it becomes an easy decision, right. To, to do that. Saving that money. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, you know, and there's two in there, and you got a good point. There are two things to think about. Either you're going to try to save money, which is what a lot of folks think about initially. The other one, which I think is more compelling, is what new revenue streams can I generate that I didn't have before, right? As a refrigerator maker, maybe I can I can tell you that whenever Southern California Edison decides to have a save energy day, if I can make that refrigerator automatically reduce its power consumption and save you 20%, maybe that's something I can sell as a service to you, to you right, to, to save that. That's interesting. I'm learning so much. <laughs> Well, good. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep leveraging your intelligence. Business analytics, or I'm sorry, business intelligence versus data analytics. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's 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 a good that's a good thing there. Uh, building intelligence is all around 
tools and and uh, uh, you know and, and, and people, right? So the idea is, you take data, you you bring it into the system, you run tools like Excel or Tableau, and you look at that data and you present it in in, in, in graphs, right? So and then a, a subject matter expert would look at the data and make a decision based on that. So a lot of heavy lift on the human side. You have some have some pretty uh, you know competent people, and it presents kind of a challenge in a repeatable model, right? So data analytics says, well, let me use the data to help me make decisions instead, and not to replace the human, but to augment what they have. And so the idea is data analytics is great. So you hear a lot about machine learning and all the wonderful things it can do, and it can, but by itself is not as important or not as useful as if you combine it with that business intelligence and then a subject matter expert along with rules. So, you know, again, I think you even though they sound very, very similar in what they do, the focus is a little bit different, right? So the, when, when one case you're looking and looking at charts and in the other one you're saying, I don't even know why we're making this decision, but the data tells me that that fuel pump is gonna go, go bad in the next two hours. I don't know why, but I need to be able to do that piece of it. And we at B-Square don't think that either one is 100% of what a business solution should be made up of. You use both, both of them. So in machine learning, there's this concept of an ensemble model, which basically says, don't use one model, use a bunch of them and do a consensus vote. We think the same thing is true when you do the analysis of the data. You need both the analytics and the data analysis, along with that subject matter business intelligence thing that, to, to move through it. That's, thank you. Clear explanation. I like it. You're very smart. <laughs> oh, no, thank you. I like I you, David. Uh, <laughs> how, many, how many people do you, are you currently leading in your engineering side over there? So we have uh, about 25 folks in our uh, straight engineering team. Mm -hmm. We have a da data science team, which is about five folks that we, you know, they're strictly looking at analytics and data and how do we productize those kind of things. Um, and then we have about... Uh, uh, six or seven folks on our on our QA team. So all these products that we're discussing right there, you've got under 50 people that like are responsible yeah, for that. Yeah, and the beauty of how we can do that is we're really, really smart about what things are we gonna choose to build and what can we use that's already out there. Yeah. Uh, we work a lot with AWS and they have some fabulous infrastructure, some amazing things that we leverage and we add our sec secret sauce on top of it. And then we allow our customers to even add stuff on top of it, right? So with their subject matter experts. So we're really focused about what we do well and we, we invest in that. And we have no problem with this non-invented here mentality. Um, there's a lot of tools and a lot of neat things out there and we leverage a lot of open source to help us build out the stuff. But I think the art of what we bring and the value we bring is how do we integrate that all together in a cohesive system that business users can use. Yeah, how do you bring value to the market? Because without that, yeah. you don't have revenue. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think the problem with IoT and, MD, you know, the, the IoT space is people get enamored with the technology, right? It's the old Gartner hype curve, right, where you get to the, 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 the peak of dissolution where it's, it's okay, great, I'm, I can connect this stuff up, but what was the reason I'm doing this for, right? So we <laughs> always start with the business problem, right? And then, and, and we're really honest with our customers. If, if the business problem they're trying to solve is not something that we can, we can help with, with a connected solution, we, we back away, right? But the point is, is that the goal isn't to connect things. It's, the goal is to drive some business value. Something in, the, you know, maybe it's a new revenue stream. Maybe it's to, you know, get a better remaining usable life out of my systems, whatever it may be. But that's the goal. 
and you need to drive to that. I think folks kind of forget about that a little bit. It's it's easy to do. Yeah, a few people were talking with me about the, the data lake craze that happened. Yeah, <laughs> the data swamp is yeah. usually what it is. Data swamp or people drowning <laughs> yeah. in the data swamp. <laughs> oh, we can help sales if we can connect these two points. 75 points later, sales still hasn't gotten their data. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's exactly right. Well, you know, and the reason why we have data lakes and data oceans now is because people know that the data is important, so they don't want to lose it, but they don't know what to do with it yet. <laughs> so you get these, you know, it's great for the guys who are cloud service or storage providers because we're just gathering tremendous amounts of data now, um, but we're not really doing a whole lot with it. It's like owning the self-storage facility. You love yeah. It. You love it when you're in a town of hoarders, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, no, that's exactly it because you know it's it's important and it is. Data is like the, such an important asset to most enterprises. So you don't want to throw it away, but you don't know yet what to do and you don't know how much of it to store. And so you just keep it all, right? Which, you know, in the, in the scheme of things, is probably a good idea. But the point is, is there, I think we need to focus on, okay, what am I trying to drive as far as a business? Now, that's an interesting question though. Uh, and I love this saying. So Henry Ford used to have a saying that if he were to ask his customers what they wanted, they would have asked for a faster horse. They wouldn't have known anything different, right? They wouldn't know what the art of the possible is. Part of my role here is when I talk to customers is, hey, that dream you have, maybe you need to reshape it a little bit because here's how you can maybe achieve that. And you may not have thought about that before, right? So a lot of it is, again, external communication of what the art of the possible is. That's interesting because um, I, I was actually writing uh, a, like a blog, like some blog. I write these like blog post starts. I don't know if they ever like come out and are going to be finished, but I always start writing. <laughs> and about I flew to Boston like last week and I wrote on the way there, I was writing this one. And I was like, I don't believe that's true. Like, I think if you would have asked the customer, like if you would have asked intelligent customers what they wanted, yeah. what they would have said is they wanted a horse where they could ride it in it in it they wouldn't get wet on their journey. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Or they wanted one that they didn't have to to feed all the time, right? Yeah, or they right. One that right. lasted longer, right? Yeah. And all of you or ran faster. Yeah, <laughs> or or went yeah, or ran faster, but it would be this collection of things that they wanted and if you look at what happened, they got those items, it's just the way that they got them was the the car. And I guess the point I was was making in that article was that we never have ma like this concept of like innovation being massively different is like completely false. It's like never true. You can only like take these small baby steps and improve. Cause like when the yeah. car first came out, it was not very awesome. No, no. They just made that small no. improvement. Well, and then again, that's a, that, you know, think small and, 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 and then, you know, and then, well, Start small and then, and then think are bigger, right? Because you, and again, you'll evolve and, and, and do quicker. I like your analogy though, because you're right. I think, I think what they would have asked is a bunch of things thinking that you could implement that in a horse somehow. But somebody else said, you know what, wait a minute, you're not even talking about a horse. A horse will never get you there. Here's what you need to think about, right? That's a great way to look at it. Yeah, it's like, let's extract the value it brings to the customer and make lists of like what they desire as improvements and then figure out what sort of improvement, like what, what we can make out of that list of improvements to hit a few of them and how, how that would look. Because if you, if you started sketching and spitballing ideas from a list of all those improvements, 
pre a car existing, a car is going to come out of that if you start sketching. Absolutely. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's why I love what you're doing here, because I think making things known to folks is is like something we've got to do a lot more of because there are things out there that can really help people, but they don't even know they exist. Right. So they continue on with the way they've always done things. Um, so it's difficult. And so the, being able to communicate that, I think, is super important. Within your team, how is your culture like on a scale of one to ten? It's it's good, it, you know, and and, and I think um, one of the things that we do is we empower teams, and we you know this whole you know show and convince uh, principle. Uh, it comes with a responsibility, right? You can't just declare something without proving it out. And so we have a concept called the day in the life of where we actually take some of our folks and we not force, force is probably the wrong word. Encourage. We encourage, and can we encourage them to actually take the business function of what the, uh, of the, of the end customer, like work in their life for a day to see what kind of drama they have. And by the way, your tool, if you used it, would it help or would it not help, right? To, to move that piece of it. So the sense of empowerment is, is, uh, is really important. The other thing is we kind of follow a little bit of the Google model, not hundred percent, but you know, a, a portion of time that they can take is to learn new things because you have to be able to do that and, and move through it. Um, and the good old, you know what, we're humans at the end of the day, that yada boy, when you incur, when you acknowledge somebody for something, doing something very, very significant, uh, goes for space. I mean, you have to correct people too, but boy, always remember to keep that, you know, you did a good job and that was really hard to do. Thank you. And, and you delivered something. Lots of times that comes from our customers, which is probably the best, to be honest. When a customer comes back and says, gosh, this would have taken me eight months and maybe I would have done it, but I was able to do it in a month with your stuff. Uh, that is a huge value. Add. That just it really absolutely does that. Um, and you have to temper that because the work we're doing is hard. It's leading edge. Things don't work as documented, right? You look at an API set, it's supposed to do this. It doesn't because it's early days. So there's a lot of hard work here. So, you know, we have to be able to acknowledge this whole fail fast, understand that you fail, but you need to be there and to detect that and move on and, and move forward with it. You touched slightly on something that I that I want to amplify a little bit. Mm -hmm. This concept, especially, is true for new managers. I, I get a lot of feedback from the audience and stuff. But yeah, you can be tough and good. Yeah, like you can care deeply about your people. You know, understand them as as humans. Let it get personal. Like we're we're working within five feet <laughs> of each other. There's no such yeah. thing as like separation. Like it. Right. We're humans. It happens. Yeah. But the fact that like you can't get close to your people because you may have to, you know, uh, change their job or they may go or so, whatever may whatever undesirable thing you could imagine may happen. I'll notice people will stay back and say, oh, I'm not going to get close to them because of that. And and that's just because it's like an initial instinct as an unexperienced leader that you can't be close to someone and also be tough and good with them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's mentoring and there's acknowledgement that you're not the smartest guy in the room, right? You may have some idea. So being able to, and, and again, it falls back to communication, being able to receive and as a team, you know, nobody has the right answer, but as a team, I think we do, right? right? And if you can get a team to understand that and work together in that, and to your point, we're all human. So they're going to be bad days when we're going to be the bad guy in the, in the, in the team. Um, and as, as long as you acknowledge it, as long as it's not a consistent theme, right? right. That's the hard part. Yeah. And yeah. I like your, like, I look at my team, like we're, a, you know, a bunch of computers. It's like, I would rather, yeah. I'd rather have five of us processing 
potential outcomes and solutions right. than just one computer processing them. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And you and you and you and you and we bring different strengths and different experiences to the table, and let's leverage that. That's it's tragic when people are. You know, that way, you know, one of the, uh, I worked at a company, OpenText, it had a fantastic program. It was the first company I worked for that you, say you open had both text? a Mac, OpenText, yeah. Oh, wow, you worked uh, for OpenText? That's pretty cool. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. I did. That was my first enterprise experience. Uh, I worked on the accounts payable side. I have some funny stories around that. But <laughs> one of the things they, one of the things they, they taught me, and, I, and, I, and it really is that a lot of companies have a single track career track. You start maybe technical, and then if you want to get you know in the higher echelons, you've got to move into the managerial side, and that's tragic in many regards because you have certain folks that are very technical that aren't gifted or have, don't have the right skill sets to be a manager, right? And so what they kept is always two tracks. There's a technical track, manager track. Um, they are they are equal as far as pay and seniority and all that kind of good stuff. But it was an acknowledgement that there are certain folks that have skill sets. Don't don't be tragic and kill it off and then try to make them something they're not. Um, and I think that's that's really true today. I mean, I look around my team. There are certain folks that I would put in front of customers and there's others I would not. Right. There's, it's just a different skill set. I like that. I like that they had the, the separate tracks. And then it is in yeah. some people could. And once you have separate tracks, then you can actually make the decision if you wanted to move, because I was heavy engineer and I ended up wanting to move into the yeah. side of things. Cause while I was good at engineering and I enjoyed it a lot, I also am uh, an individual that I'm always, I climb a mountain and then I look for the next one. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah. I got to the top of like engineering where we're all arguing over like this top three or four things. It's like, okay, I'm at the top here. <laughs> what now? And then I was like, let's go conquer the human side of things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, then you got to have enough safe harbor, right? So the idea is, let's say you want to make that leap from technology to managerial, and then because you think you want to do it, and then you get it, and you go, "Oh, this is really not not my cup of tea." You need to have the ability to go back again, right? And I think OpenTech supported that model really, really well. Yeah. Also, I, my my um, myself supported that model because what I said was, mm -hmm. I, I can go over here, and if I don't enjoy it, I've built my skill set up enough to where I I'm valuable enough in the marketplace where I can go back to that. And still know, yeah. I, and I, I was very comfortable with it because I was like, I could still go back and I could still enjoy my life and still do stuff. And, uh, but yeah, I pushed through. I got it. Well, no, you know, you sound a lot like, you know, because in, in, in my, you know, I, I kind of went on the CTO side of it is more a little bit more managerial stuff. But boy, I tell you, I, I still code. I still get my hands dirty and stuff. And partly because I like it, to be quite honest. But second of all is to understand what the team has to go through and what they're dealing with and, and and keep my hands you know close to the metal of what's changing so so again it's that drive inside of you that you got to have yeah being able to send uh http requests and have a light turn on <laughs> will never not make me smile <laughs> is, you know there's something about taking uh an inanimate thing like a program and having to do something physical isn't that magical oh. i mean it's just like I, well, I, I'm glad you said it. Again, my wife doesn't believe that, but, but I absolutely do that there's something magical. And that's why I like this embedded programming piece of the world, because usually you have some physical thing that touches this logical thing. I feel very much like when, when, I, when I hook something up or write some code now, right? I feel very much like the, I guess, like a caveman making fire. I'm like you start to see it work, like is it working? It's working, and that's like on fire. You're like yes, it's working. <laughs> I did it. Exactly, and then you move on to the next thing. Well, now that I can build a fire. Let me go see if I can build a fire extinguisher. Right? <laughs> so you move to the next piece of it. Yeah. So it, it it it's a never-ending story. And the good news is technology is allowing us to do things that 
we would have been, it would have been science fiction just even five years ago. How, how did your, your role change from chief architect, VP, right to CEO? Mm-hmm. Were, there, were there big differences, small differences? A little bit. I think the CTO role, uh, which I, which is what would draw, uh, attracted me. You know, if I were to tell you the difference between CIO and CTO is really that customer facing is focused. CIO is more internally focused. CTO is more externally focused. Um, the chief architect role allowed me to de- design and, and, and come up with things and work with smart teams to build things. And then you kind of threw it over the fence and you hope that you got a good response. I think in the role of CTO, I can actually go out and talk with folks to try out ideas. In fact, the first year I was here, I burned a lot of jet fuel talking, you know, flying out to existing customers. We had, we were, the benefit was we had existing customers and asked them, when you think about this connected device space, what do you think about? What do you, have you have any ideas and that kind of stuff to move it back again? So I think the, the role is much more customer facing. It's bringing that into the product team to, to help them understand what customers are asking for. And then understanding technically, could we even build something like that, right? If someone asked me, you know, what I want to do is really solve world hunger. I have to kind of back off that one because- Well, check the budget because, first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll get on that one. <laughs> yeah, you know what? That's a good point. That's a good um, so I think that's that's really the the goal. And so it's almost the best of both worlds, to be honest. I really enjoy the role because I can craft an idea based on some educated knowledge and then shove it out there and see if they like it or not, right? And quickly iterate over it. So I think that's the biggest change for me is, is I mean, I think I still work with the same set of folks. Um, I think, again, it's that customer focus that, that makes it a little bit, to me, makes it a lot nicer. Yeah, definitely. That's one of the reoccurring areas of top three areas where the C-level technologists are spending their time yeah. with your with your top customers. And that's just really important because even if the CEO is interfacing with your top customers, having the technology side interface with, with their side, it just, you know, makes your, we're people. You got to spend time with people. You, you got to, and you got to, and, and not that, but I, you know, I can't tell you how much I've learned. I knew nothing about trucks when we started working with this. And now I think I'm, you know, I couldn't fix one, but I could, at least I know how they work. And, you know, oil pumps, I had no idea what kind of complexity was involved, but I learned a lot. So it's, uh, it's, it's just a neat. And when you talk to people that are really smart in that space, it's amazing what kind of knowledge you get. Yeah. Maybe you'll get to work like with one of the Tesla fleets. That'd be cool. I know, those, you know, or, you know, maybe there's some maintenance that has to go with SpaceX, right? And I got to work on a rocket somewhere. <laughs> I think, I think it's going to have more than 352 sensors though. I think so. I think so. And, and, you know, and to be honest, I don't know if I can fix it while it's in flight. So I think we've got a different problem there. Right? <laughs> yeah. So as we wrap up, what are you most excited about? Like what project, what's going on at the company on a day-to-day that you're most excited about? Yeah. So I think we're, you know, there's, uh, so some of this stuff we have to keep, under um you know it can't be i have to be a little bit uh not evasive on ambiguous, but a little bit yeah. clear. ambiguous there you go um is that i think we're working on a project that is around cities and municipalities to make life for people a lot better okay. based on connected data because i think cities um are amazing how much data they're collecting there are some cities and bellevue is one of those that are really collecting a lot of data like they use the 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 sense or data from the truck or from the from the vehicles to understand how to what kind of light patterns to do for the, the for the, for the signal lights. Um, so we're we're working in that space to actually deliver value, not in the sense of revenue, but it's a better quality of life for folks. Um, so you know the example I gave around energy management that 
you know, I live in Southern California and Edison will every once in a while will send me a, you know, Hey, save, if you cut down your refrigerator, if you cut down your inner use by 10%, we'll give you a 20% break. So we're working with that to drive some information into the meters of the house to be able to control devices to like, maybe I'll dim your lights by 5%. You won't notice it, but that enough will give you some savings. So, you know, using those kind of things. And by the way, if that 5% did bug you, you would tell the system, it would learn and it would say, okay, I won't do that again. Yeah. Um, so that to me is exciting because now, while I love controlling physical devices and I think those things are cool, I think if you can, you know, do a little bit better for humanity that we're actually driving some, making someone's life a little bit better. And maybe that little bit better means I'm saving a little bit on my energy bill. Um, you know, energy is, is an area that I think we need to be concerned about water. You brought up water. That's another one that I think is really interesting. Can we do some stuff there to really help out? And I think now that we've got so much collect connected data that we're collecting, I really truly believe that we can do something there in a, in a major way. I love it. So you're making the smart cities a little bit smarter. Smarter. Yeah. Well, you know what, and the goal, you know, what's funny about that. We talk about smart cities, smart cars. The goal isn't to necessarily make this city smarter. It's to take the smarts to make my life better, right? That's, yeah. It's to make my life. And hopefully at the end of the day, the citizens will be, will benefit it from some way or another due to that smartness, right? If you, if you just make the city smart, that's great, but you want to do something with it. Yeah. I just, I like, I like that buzzword, the smart stuff, because yeah, it, it, it was a word that caused cities to put money into infra te technological infrastructure, which yeah. then can allow us to do things like this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally agree. Totally agree. Dave, we did it. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am. Dude. You are just a very enjoyable person. I just, uh, you're, you're great. Oh, right back at you. This is awesome. If I'm out, <laughs> if I'm out in your area traveling, speaking, I've got like a big uh, conference circuit for this next year. If I'm around, I'm going to uh, message Please you. do. Please. Yeah. Yeah. Look me up. I would love to, to contact you. I think you just have a fascinating uh, you're, you're, you're just fascinating in many regards. And so I'd love to, to catch up with you. Excellent. We'll do. Fantastic. Thank you, Joel. Thank you, Dave. You have a great day. Okay, same to you. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to help, please take a moment right now to open up the iTunes app and leave a review of the podcast. If you take a screenshot of the review and text it or email it to a friend who needs to listen to the podcast and then CC me, joel at moderncto.io. If you see me on the email, I'll send you a copy of the Modern CTO book or give you a shout out on the podcast, whichever you prefer. We're trying to get listed on the top 100 for iTunes and I need your help in order to do this.